Hello and welcome to Mad Millennial Media Munchers, a casual and Canadian bi-weekly media discussion podcast. Third episode's The Charm. I'm Zach. I'm Juliana. Juliana, you sound different. I am not sick anymore, for starters. Now, you also look different. You look a bit too lifelike. I don't too think I lifelike. I didn't buy the 4K upgrade to my <laughs> graphics card. It's okay. You're still running in like 420p for me because or 480p for me because I don't have my glasses on right now. You're in my house, <laughs> eating your food, drinking your water. How are you doing, Juliana? I'm pretty good. A little tired, but I had to wake up early to get out here, so. Yeah, I am. I've been pretty tired lately uh, because I've been having random bouts of insomnia, actually. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I've maybe had like two to three hours of sleep max in the last 24 hours. Oh my god, really? Yeah. See, I. I don't think I could say that I suffer in, in, from insomnia, but I definitely work like a daytime job at 5 a.m. when I am most definitely a nighttime person. <laughs> so I just like, my second wind hits at like the time I should be going to bed. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just stay up for another three hours and then go sleep for like four or five. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that I will like, I'll lay in bed and I like as much as I I feel tired and I want to go to sleep for some reason my brain and body will not shut down uh. on its own and I will I'll do this thing where I will like get up and be like well I, I I'm not falling asleep I might as well do something to like and hope that it tires me out enough to put me to bed later but yeah it's it's been inconvenient. I'd imagine so. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm glad that you are here and I am here and we're doing this and hopefully once we've recorded this episode I will be freed from this conscious prison and get <laughs> a solid straight couple hours of sleep. You think it's stress? Like uh maybe Maybe there's just been too much on my mind. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyways, what are you doing in my neck of the woods? I'm out here because I finally decided after years and years that I need to go see an Elton John concert. Every time he swung by into the area or somewhere nearby, I've been like, I should go to that concert. And then I never do um, because I'm, I like haven't really been to a proper like performers like a big name concert before i've gone to symphonies like a contemporary musician yeah um, i've gone to symphonies and stuff like that but i've never been to like a maroon 5 concert or something like that and elton john this is supposed to be his farewell tour that got put on hold because the covid happened yeah so this might actually be my last chance and i was like no nah, i just i just gotta do it i just finally have to go see this person live yeah, especially when some of these big name performers 
are, are getting on in years and you never know when they're going to kick the bucket. Oh, on that note, that reminds me. You remember like Fan Expo very regularly, like had Carrie Fisher a few times at Fan Expo? Yeah. And like, remember one time uh, my now ex was like, I really want to get an autograph for her for my dad. But like, we were... S- pretty strapped for cash at the time and i'm like i don't like i can't like he didn't have the money i'm like i can't really spare the money for this i'm not gonna take out a loan to yeah, get like <laughs> get a, a photo op with carrie fisher yeah so i'm like but she's and, and i told her i'm like it'll be fine she's been to this convention like four times in the past like however many years been running i'm like we'll see her next year or like in a couple years after that and that was i'm pretty sure the year she passed <laughs> like Rest her soul, but I, um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, back in like 2016, I got really into Meatloaf. What, the the musician, the singer, not the not the food. Okay, okay. <laughs> so um, for those of you who can't see, I'm giving him this look like like the dinner <laughs> across the table. Uh, but, and he actually came to Abbotsford to do a show and me and a bunch of friends got tickets to the show and I had started up a job with a a film production at the time and long hour days wasn't able to leave until a specific time I drove like a madman the entire hour all the way to Abbotsford Stadium. I got to the door, ticket in hand, at like halfway through the last song oh of gosh. the show. And they said, sorry, we can't let you in. We don't have any ticket scanners available. Oh, that sucks. Look, it's yeah. the last half. Just like, and you've got it in hand. Just yeah. let them in. <laughs> I was absolutely devastated and he never returned to bc as far as i know and he's passed away now so yeah Yeah. that that chance came and went but in the end he turned out to be like a science denier or something like that yeah Yeah. so there's a bit of a yikes there but yeah that it's still as, as someone who really liked his music, that really sucked at the time. So I'm glad that you're taking the opportunity to go see him. I, will, I definitely want to go to more concerts now. I, I need to do a Weird Al concert. I just, I think, oh, I, I just need man. to. He, he played in my, like, in my city, and I did not know that and totally missed the ticket sale. Like, somehow I didn't find out until, like, the day or two before he was set to reform that he was in town. I'm like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> But oh he's, come, he's come to be he's come to BC a few times as well, thankfully. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he comes knock on back. everything. I don't jinx this. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah, and there is a Final Fantasy concert happening in I think it's April of next year. I haven't bought tickets yet, but I'm planning to go to that because I've been to a Zelda symphony, never been to a Final Fantasy one. So 
I've been to the Final Fantasy one a couple times, but they same case. They I think they come around like every year. Yeah. Um, with different different sets, of course, because there's so much to pull from. Yeah. But of no, course. it's a it's a it's a good it's a good performance. Like even as somebody who <laughs> has never finished a mainline Final Fantasy game, <laughs> it's Me a good neither. performance. Me neither, dude. I've played like all the side ones. <laughs> And the MMO. And I've tried a lot of the mainline games, and I've gotten fairly deep into four, six, and seven. But yeah, never made it to end game. I'm surprised you didn't finish seven. What about with its remake? Have you tried it? Oh yeah, I've tried FF7 remake. I'm actually fairly deep into it. I started playing it around like shortly before I started playing 14. And I, I'm at the point, like right before you invade Shinra Tower, I have yet to finish it, but okay. I'm, it's in the back of my mind. I actually thought about it the other day and I was like, I need to return to that so I can talk about it in a future episode. Yeah, I need to start it. Cause I told myself as the years pass and I missed the original release of it, and you know, graphics just got better and better. And I know like, I've always been the nervous, like, you know, graphics don't make it, but like, it is sometimes really hard to go back to that polygon. Um, I remember telling myself, I'm like, I will finally, I will play Final Fantasy VII when it finally like inevitably gets a remake. And now it's, now I'm a little confused because it's a remake in multiple parts. So I'm like, oh, so I guess I'll just wait until everything is out and then play it all at it's once. It's a bit of a misnomer of a title because yeah, they're breaking it up into sections and expanding upon it a lot. It's it's like if Ocarina of Time was made into a like 100-hour epic. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Yeah, I might I might just do the thing I do at Kingdom Hearts and wait until it's finished and they offer like some big bundled package with all of it in one. <laughs> so at least I know I'm not missing something off to the side over there. Although Kingdom Hearts, I'm always missing something off to the side over there. Yeah. Anyway, we'll come back to JRPGs later. <laughs> um, shall we move into media? Yeah. I kind of talked about mine already really briefly. Like I said, I'm going to an Elton John concert in like not quite eight hours. <laughs> How big of an Elton John fan are you anyway? I... Actually, no, I'm sorry. That that sounded really accusatory. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. But like, I guess that's the thing. I'm, I enjoy his music. If it comes on the radio, I'm singing with it. But the way I've handled music is I've never been like a big like fan of any particular band and stuff like that. Like I couldn't tell you like when all of these tracks released or like what album they were on or even all of the tracks because I'm just like, oh, I heard this one, it was fun. And then like, you know, whatever thing I'm on recommends other songs in the first. I'm like, okay, cool, this is good too. And like my dad listened to him. So there's that, but I'm not like, I'm not like an Elton John super fan. I've just heard that his performances are good and I generally like his music and I thought it'd be a good one to go to. But that's, that's my problem with me and like any music I listen to. People are like, oh, what bands do you like? And I'm like, I can't really tell you because like, I like the music from, the, I like these two songs from this band, Bump of Chicken, but I literally only know these two songs from Bump of Chicken. <laughs> no, that is totally fair. I feel the same way uh, about him. Like I have 
like two or three songs by Elton John that I really like. That being Rocket Man, Levon, and I guess Tiny Dancer. I like Tiny Dancer. I, I know more than just like three songs for Elton John, just because like I said, my dad listened to him while I was growing up. But uh, but yeah, I, I can't like I can't give you like the entire track listing of his history. Yeah, I don't know if you were checking Facebook much on the ferry ride over, but I did share a meme where someone had commented on like a Metallica post on Instagram saying like, sorry Metallica for all the fake Stranger Things fans. <laughs> and I was like, guys, I'm sorry. I have a confession to make before, or like all my music taste came completely from like Guitar Hero 3. Right. God. <laughs> I'm excited, but like, I, I haven't checked any footage from the tour. And my dad was all like, if Crocodile Rock comes on, record it for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Yeah, I know my, my parents are also fans of him. I don't know if they ever have seen him live. My mom often brags about having seen David Bowie live, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that was probably a good live performance, too. So before I go into my thing, I have to ask, how familiar are you with Shadowrun? Like... Like barely. <laughs> yeah, I I know a little, but like it's like like real minimal. <laughs> no, that's that's totally fine because I I have never played Shadowrun either. And if you don't know, I'm not the biggest fan of tabletop role playing. Oh, we're talking about the tabletop game. Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant like there's like some video game from like early early 90s i think that was called that was called shadow run oh yeah no okay that is related to what i'm okay, talking then. about so yeah i'm not the biggest fan of tabletop role playing i used to be a casual dungeons and dragons player but now i'm usually mentally checked out by like the second hour of a game and i don't know it's it's just not for me you might just need to play stuff that's not D&D. &D. Or like one shots, where it's all kind of just, here we go, you're gonna go through 20 characters <laughs> in this meat grinder of a one shot. And that is partly why it's appealing to me. So for those who don't know, Shadowrun is a cyberpunk tabletop role-playing game, <laughs> uh, carrying on from the cyberpunk kick that I was deep into last episode, but it has like a smattering of fantasy. So it's it's a bleak modern future, but you have magic and fantasy races, which in their context, they call metahumans like mm. elves, dwarves, orcs, trolls, and you play as shadow runners who are mercenaries taking okay. on jobs. And I find that the setting seems a lot more forgiving for murder hobo-ish characters. <laughs> what do you mean by more forgiving? Because I feel like Dungeons and Dragons, like the stereotype is that the party devolves into murder hobo, but it doesn't really seem to cause people trouble, so. No, that's fair. I don't know. I've, I've played in enough games where 
the party that I've been a part of has often been, like, the chosen ones. Yeah. Destined to save okay. the world. I would say, like, less than half of the time it's been just random adventurers on a quest. And normally, if you do morally ambiguous actions, there's consequence for it. But you're not heroes in Shadowrun. You're just runners trying to make creds. Right, okay. <laughs> and the reason I bring Shadowrun up is because I have been listening to a podcast that I've been really enjoying called Drek and Dragons. Drek being the Shadowrun slang for poop. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you would ask. So it's about three runners from a neo-futuristic Seattle. I'm not sure if the players are, like, located in the Washington area, but that's the setting that they've chosen because it, it takes place in our world. Okay. But... But, like, far-flung future? Yeah. It's, like, you have people using, like, cybernetic implants. You have, like, gun drones and okay. robots. But you also have fantasy races and at least one corporation. Its CEO is a literal dragon. <laughs> I guess that's its hoard, hey? Is that, that business? <laughs> exactly. But these three runners, they don't end up as the chosen ones but they do end up as part of a clandestine organization that is more or less like shield from marvel there they are trying to prevent a catastrophe from happening okay but it's a whole organization right but it just follows these the three people. It just follows there. the three people as as operatives. Okay, okay. But first they just start off as normal run of the mill shadow runners. One is a technomancer who is someone who can hack and access the matrix or the internet without the use of like a data jack. Right. Like physically so they can just like collapse and enter enter the the internet oh like but they physically like hit the floor when they yeah when they, they do just that? they just collapse thunk. <laughs> and his name is robin there's athena who is a female elf who's like a former corporate soldier who her boss was murdered and she has been on the run from his killers ever since and while also trying to track them down for revenge and she has a whole lot of PTSD to work through. Why are the murderers after her if it was just her boss they took out? It's Unless she's like the daughter of said boss or something. Or she was like an eyewitness. And they're just trying to wrap up the loose ends. I think just because she survived and they're trying to wrap up loose ends. Oh, okay. They took out one of the killers so far, but never really got into the motive as to why <laughs> they were tracking her down, now that I think about it. And the third character, who is my favorite, is a arms dealer named Raspberry Jam. Raspberry Jam. <laughs> yeah. And... So he's affiliated with firearms and operating vehicles. 
but he acts like a Louisianan Southern gentleman. Okay. And he like looks out for his community and cares about his mom. <laughs> and there's like a lot of character drama because I think I like small party role-playing games, especially for tabletop because it allows for greater like one-on-one -on -one character role-play, right. I, I suppose. Like you're, you're able to develop your characters a, a bit easier when there's more focus on each one. When it's there's not seven people trying to each get their bit in. <laughs> exactly. It also makes it a lot easier on the DM to come up with content for each character. But the main reason I really like this particular game and how at least they are running it because, like I said, I've never played Shadowrun, but it seems to work on a kind of like give and take plot point system where the players can spend a plot point to make something happen. And it can be anything from like, they use it to take an extra attack in combat or they use it to find something that the characters need. Mm. And and at some points, the DM, who is very clearly improving a lot of this, like they set up the characters and the mission, but the player characters are not railroaded like whatsoever. Oh, so they really just get to pick what direction they wanna go in, eh? Yeah, and at some points, the game master will just let his players take a turn narrating what is happening. Oh, that's cool. So it really feels like a collaborative story. Right. Yeah. And it's funny as hell. <laughs> they also do holiday one shots that I really like oh that gosh. have recurring characters. One of the players has played like three different characters across four holiday one shots but the other two have had characters that have been there since the first Halloween episode. Uh, one is Xander, who is like a college jock bro elf. <laughs> and so it really, yeah, bro. Like he, oh, he talks like this, my, like my dad owns a dealership. <laughs> and the other is Garth who is like a middle-aged accountant who has skill in hacking, but do you know the the one character from Office Space, the guy who, like, they keep repeatedly screwing him over to the point where he's working in the basement, not even on the payroll? Oh. Like the, the, I believe you have my stapler guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's basically that guy. And he has what the player calls knowledge vengeance. Knowledge vengeance, like as a skill? As a skill. Knowledge vengeance? Yes. And according just to the player, his character has like a hidden threshold. So anytime somebody is rude, mean to him, or just like brushes him off or dismisses him, his counter goes up by one. And when it hits a limit known only to the player, 
Garth has to set something on fire. Oh, he doesn't go after them. He just like compulsively. He's an arsonist. <laughs> and their first one shot quest is going through a haunted mansion with like edgy ripoffs of the Scooby-Doo cast. Oh my gosh, okay. And the the Christmas episode is they are in a mall and they have unknowingly entered a blood sport on what is called Red Thursday. <laughs> and they've been hired to find a ripoff of a Tickle Me Elmo doll called Touch Me Shmolo. <laughs> And they have to compete against 11 other teams who are all based on like Christmas special or Christmas movie characters. That sounds wild. Okay. They, <laughs> they team up with like John McClane from Die Hard, who they call Bruce Nakatomi. There's a, a Grinch called the Grunch. The Grunch. They... Oh... <laughs> They murder the Griswold family from, like, National Lampoon's family vacation. Right. Who are mages. And the final boss is Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. Oh my gosh. It's, it's but hilarious. It's, like, as a kid still, or as, like, a grown-up As a kid. As a kid still. As a kid. Like, it gets dark at some points. Like, it's, it's pretty, like, edgy. But oh, okay. it's really funny, and I've been enjoying it a lot. I'm about halfway through the series so far, and it it doesn't have a huge following. So if it sounds like something you'd be interested in, I highly recommend it. Okay, I can take a look into that. Cause are you are you thinking at all of getting into the tabletop, or are you just planning to listen to their playthrough of it? I may try it at some point. Okay. I would love to play in like a cyberpunk Vancouver, like one shot. There is, this was a while ago, I feel, several months. So my details are a bit shaky. You might want to look into another tabletop system called Eclipse Phase. Eclipse Phase. I can't remember if I told you about it before. Its name comes from, I think it's like a biology term of basically like when a cell gets infected by something, but before you can visually see that the cell has been infected and the change starts to happen, that's the Eclipse Phase, if my memory serves correctly. But it is also like a sci-fi type of setting. Like we had a few of us that tried it. Our, our DM had, I don't think had run it before. We were just doing it as a one shot to get some feelers out and decided we're going to try it again because it turns out we were doing some mechanics wrong as players. But it's interesting in that as a group as a whole, you have people called transhuman, but you're also not necessarily playing like a human. Like in our group, we had one person who, yeah, was like a human and they had like some cybernetic like enhancements, replacements, stuff like that. And then we had someone else who was like, kind of looked like a guardian from Breath of the Wild. Oh, <laughs> just a complete construct. Just a total construct. And then like, I was playing like a digital raven, basically. Oh, that's with no, so cool. With no actual physical corporeal body. I basically just like piggybacked into like the data, data bank mindscape of my other party members. And would then also try to hack other people that were giving us trouble by just zooming in there. But it has this interesting separation between, I think it's, if I remember correctly, it's called like the ego and the morph. So you can have your physical body just be like totally destroyed, but like your, your mind, your skills, your memories and stuff could just be transferred 
into another body. So for our one shot, that's kind of what happened is the, the one that was more human than the rest of us had gone out on a mission. I guess I really shouldn't say that they're human because that, that body is definitely, I think was definitely all cybernetic. <laughs> but they went out on a mission. We lost communications with them. This is the back, like the backstory setup. Um, we lost communications with them. And then like we had to essentially like pull their their mental capacity stuff out and reshunt it into another body but they lost a bit of the memory so we're trying to go recover the other body that's no longer inhabited along with like the stuff that they had for the mission they were on i'd have to relate it a little bit to like ghost in the shell right major okay. kusanagi that body is not a human body so it could be put into other shells yeah kind of thing there is a method of destroying the ego so a person or thing or a transhuman is just dead now that you mentioned i really need to watch ghost in the shell have you never watched ghost in the shell I, like any of them i have seen god like maybe the first 30 to 40 minutes of the like the original ghost in the shell movie oh yeah and unfortunately it was it was just a thing like it was in a group setting and the group just wasn't feeling it. Oh, I see. It was just, I think, a little too slow and cerebral for their taste at the time. But I thought it looked amazing. <laughs> like that that one fight when she that she gets into with the the stealth suit yeah. in like the the shallow pool, like that that is so cool. That's a good scene. Yeah. No, I I really need to finish watching that and get into like standalone complex. I remember standalone complex being on YTV and I was probably shouldn't have been watching it at the time considering my age, but but it was also so long ago I don't totally remember it, but I know I, de I definitely saw all of it. And I was definitely a little scarred by like, there's this one serial killer guy who like flays women alive in their torso in the shape of a t-shirt. Oh. And I just remember this one scene with like the gulching sound and the screaming, and I didn't sleep for days after that. Oh, to be a teenage anime fan in the mid 2000s, <laughs> getting into stuff well beyond their age rating. I mean, I I did it too. Oh, and Witch Hunter Robin. I should rewatch that one too, man. <laughs> Yeah, I never gave Witch Hunter Robin a chance. It seemed too boring to me at the time. I don't really remember anything about Witch Hunter Robin. I think I enjoyed it. I remember she had fire powers and glasses to keep them under control. But oh man, do I not remember like anything else because it's been a very, very long time. Yeah. Loved Helsing at that time. That was a bit above my age rating, <laughs> I think. Ooh, anyway, getting sidetracked. Yeah, that's fine. How did we even get onto the topic of anime? Because Eclipse Phase got compared- Eclipse Phase, right. I compared yes. Eclipse Phase to Ghost in the Shell, which made me think of YTV, which made me think of Witch Hunter Robin. <laughs> I told you, I tangent real bad sometimes. This isn't even the worst it could be, but- That is okay. At least was... I can usually find my way back. <laughs> it's fine. We found our way back and it was, it was good conversation. So what have you been doing aside from anxiously waiting to see Elton John on stage? Well, we had Thanksgiving. That was fun. Because I think the last time we recorded, it was Thanksgiving weekend, but neither of us had actually done Thanksgiving yet. I didn't do Thanksgiving. You didn't do Thanksgiving at all. We had some people over to do Thanksgiving, and part of that, like, 
Part of it was cooking, but a lot, part of that in the beginning bit was like one of them brought over this new board game that they found, and it was called Mysterium. Okay. At its core, it's kind of like Clue. It's a cooperative game, and you have like we had four players. One person is a ghost, and the other three are psychics, and we're communing with the dead. So you're trying to figure. Is, out... is this the game where you like communicate with pictures? Yes. I've so... played this. So the ghost is not allowed to talk. Yeah. You have to figure out like who killed the ghost, but the ghost is not allowed to talk. And they it was essentially like three or for however many players you have, there's like that many scenarios of like who did it, where they killed them, and what they used to kill them. But yeah, the ghost is. Like, in the instructions, says, like, do not talk. You communicate who killed you, or you, you give the psychics visions. And there's these cards that just, like, have weird... Like, these cards look like early AI generation type images. Yeah. And, you, and they can give you, like, as few or as many cards as they want to try to get the hint across. But sometimes, like, they have to draw. So sometimes they just get really crap cards, and you get given this card, and you're like... What even is this? It looks like a flower eating a piece of cheese on a merry-go-round. I'm like, what am I supposed to get out of this single card? <laughs> but yeah, you, you get to see all of the, uh, you, you get to see, of course, all of the people who could have done it, all of the places where it could have been done, and all the weapons uh, that could have been used. And you start by, you go in stages of, like, the who did it, and then where, and then the weapon, um, progressing each as you successfully guess. There's, like, this other little mechanic thing that's like after everyone guesses but before it's revealed if they're correct or not you have clairvoyance points that you can put down to be like yes i think your guess is correct or no i think your guess is incorrect and if you're if you're right about those you go up on the clairvoyance meter basically which helps you at the second phase of the game so once everybody has figured out like their iteration of who done it where done it and what did it you go to second phase, wherein the ghost of the scenarios presented picks one of them. Um, so second phase is essentially of the narrowed down, for us it was three, we had to figure out which was like the one. Um, and the way that it happens is the ghost picks like three cards, I think it was, puts them all face down on the table, one card gets flipped. If your clairvoyance will always start at base one, but like a uh, uh, base cards that you can see with your prophetic visions. I guess it's not a prophetic vision, you're trying to look in the past, but whatever. Um, with your visions, if you only hit like this amount of clairvoyance, you can only see one card, you have to place your guess. And then for everyone else, it's like, okay, if you had your clairvoyance, clairvoyance this high, you get to see two cards, and then, and then based off of that, you can make your guess. And then up to three cards if you like max out that, or not max out, but if you get high enough on that meter, you get to see all three cards so you have the best chance at guessing what happened. <laughs> and yeah, and if you all fail, the ghost is doomed to wander for eternity. Oh. <laughs> I missed out on that bit of lore. <laughs> yeah, they're just doomed. If you if you if you psychic screw up, the ghost is just doomed. <laughs> if you don't hit goodbye on the Ouija board, it's stuck with you forever. Basically. Yeah, I've played this game twice once on tabletop simulator okay and the other time was actually it wasn't actual mysterium but it's like a not copyright infringing <laughs> copy of the game built into vr chat oh yeah so 
How did your visions work? Was there still cards or did someone manage to like give you a vision considering? Yeah, the person who is the ghost, I, 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 it's been like a couple of years, so I don't precisely remember how it worked, but if you were the ghost in the VR chat game, you are in like a separate room and you're given the images to show and then you choose which to to show to each person, I think? Or do you show it to the, the entire group? Um, you would give it to the person, but the group could discuss together. Right. Yeah. I, I believe that's it. Like, you you chose which ones and you, you gave it to them. Oh, okay. And they, they received it. In VR. In VR, big. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was... It was fun. I seem to recall it like the decor was like a a fortune teller's hut and you were like all around like a table. Oh, that's or, like, cool. Um and a and a crystal ball which the the ghost like spoke through. Right. Yeah. Now that that's a fun game and I I've never played it in person though, but I would love to at some point. Yeah, our ghost was like, not supposed to talk, but made like, ooh, noises like in the background. And we were like, if this is correct, knock once for yes and twice for no. <laughs> Stuff like that. How can you play a ghost and not do one <laughs> ooh? Speaking of ghosts, we're coming up on Halloween. Oh, I know. I don't even know what I'm doing. It's not on Monday. I'm supposed to go dress up for work, and I was trying to arrange your, some coworkers are also dressing up for work. They're like, what are you gonna be? And someone's like, I'm gonna be like Gene Simmons. And someone's like, I'm gonna be like this and this. And I'm like, my outfits have no cohesion with any of you. I don't think I could get away with dressing up for work. No? Nah, <laughs> unfortunately. But do you think you will dress up? Do you think you'll figure something out? Well, I brought my, you've seen my pirate, my two pirate outfits, right? I brought the fancier of the two with me home from my parents' place, because I think if I use one, I might use that one, because I want to show off. <laughs> That'd be great. Steal all the mail. Yeah. But, uh, it's a, it's a fancy getup. Um, I just gotta make sure I don't, like, catch it on anything. But it should be fine. But yeah, it's coming up. Oh my god, I can't believe we're this far into October already. Yeah, I know. I don't have any set plans for Halloween, but... I am meeting up with friends tomorrow, and we're apparently doing pumpkin carving. Okay, that'll be cool. Yeah, I haven't done that in a couple years. So. I was trying to get somebody to go to Fright Night with me, but we couldn't get the dates to work out, because they finally brought Fright Night back after like three or four years. Yeah, I know. Been. I have a friend who works at Fright Nights. Right, you yeah. do. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think I'll be able to. Maybe for one of the later days, I don't know. Because it, it does go into November a little bit. No, it doesn't. October no? 31st is the last day. I thought it ran until, like, November 4th. No, I'm pretty sure it ends October 1st. Because I was looking, I was trying to plan dates with somebody. For those of you who don't know, because I realize we never explained this. So our amusement park that's somewhat nearby has an event usually at Halloween that's been on hiatus for the last three years called Fright Night. Wherein they set up, like... I think this year they have like seven haunted houses and you buy tickets to go in, you can ride the rides and go visit the haunted houses and they're like character, actor type things that run both through the houses and through the theme park. 
because every year you hear somebody scream their head off at a wolfman coming up behind them with a chainsaw and it's great but it always it takes place like after sundown and they have like sometimes like other performances like fire eaters or whatever you call that skill that's basically playing with fire fire yeah. dancers i guess yeah it's been a few years since they've done that it's fun they've i think they have a new house this year there's like it's the last year for one of the houses it's and the, the debut year of another one it's the last year for hollywood horrors which is the one that's based off of like classic horror movies like texas chainsaw massacre or Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, okay. So I wonder if that has something to do with like a licensing thing. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe that I don't want to pay for it anymore. But yeah, I've certainly missed Fright Nights. I love haunted houses. I didn't when I was a kid, but. Did you go through that one in Japan when we were in like the movie village? Nope. That was unfortunately during my weenie phase. It was so funny because I went through that, but I went through with the two other people who were like a year older than us and they were a couple. And I just, I thought it was so funny because yeah, they just, they screamed like at everything and they were so terrified and I don't scare very easily for whatever reason. Like loud noises will startle me, but like haunted houses just, I think they're fun, but I, I don't get the scare that other people do. But I remember by the end of it, some guy like jumped out and terrorized the other two of them. And like, they were like, for most of this thing, they were each hanging on to not each other, but like one of my arms each. And the very last room, I basically got dragged out by these two as they were screaming to like, get to the exit. Yeah. The haunted house you're referring to, of course, is at the Toei Film Park in, or, or around Kyoto. I love the fact that you remember the name because I oh, definitely yeah. didn't. <laughs> yeah, because they had a, they had the huge uh, Sentai museum in the front and I was, I was enamored with it because Power Rangers wasn't something that I was allowed to watch when uh. I was a kid. So just seeing all the Power Rangers suits and it was also my introduction to Kamen Rider. Was that really? Yeah, I had never heard of Kamen Rider up oh, until that's funny. that trip. <laughs> but yeah, that missing that haunted house is definitely something that I regret. Unfortunately, I was, like I said, a huge weenie and coward when it came to horror stuff, even well into like my mid to late teens until one specific game. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay. God, I, I just, I remember from that trip, like, seeing, I, I guess one of the other guys, I think he was a year younger than us, but had bought one of the masks from, I don't know if it was one of the Sentai things, but you, I, did you remember seeing he had the mask, or it might have been a monster, but, like, a group of school children walked by, and he, like, went, like, ah, or something at them, and the kids were all like, ah, and then, like, like walk away giggling after, oh, so cute. I don't remember that, <laughs> but that's, that's adorable. No, I remember... I remember one of the guys bought the headband from Afro Samurai, <laughs> but that's that's all I remember. Yeah, Halloween. I think that's it for, oh, no, 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 no. I do have one last thing to talk about. And I forgot to mention it to you. Oh. So I was at, I was at a friend's house earlier this week and we decided to just check streaming services to see what was on and we ended up watching the first two episode like two-parter 
of the 1990s Mighty Ducks animated series. Oh, the animated one. Yeah, not the movies, not the live action movies, because I, I, I think I saw bits of those as a kid, but my memory of those are is minimal. Right. I have mentioned at the start of every episode so far that this is a Canadian show, but we're <laughs> two weird Canadians who I don't think really care about our national sport very much. I I don't like I don't know. I, I follow it during the Olympics and see how our yeah. team is doing. But like otherwise otherwise I don't I'm not a big sports person to begin with. I sooner play it than like watch it. <laughs> so That's the same for me. I'm not into sports really at all. But like I have watched my fair share of hockey. Like as you said, 2010 Olympics, Canada versus America. Oh, it was right in our backyard. We had to watch yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> of course. But it's not something that I will tune into nowadays. But this has nothing to do really with the live action sport because this is a cartoon about a group of alien humanoid ducks whose planetary sport is hockey. <laughs> who are enslaved by a race of reptiles led by Tim Curry, and they wind up on Earth, and they they both play as Anaheim's local hockey team yeah. by day and solve crime by night. I feel like I... How old is this movie? I feel like I must have seen this. It's gotta be, like, mid to late... 90s. There's some. I've probably seen this. It sounds pretty rough familiar. CGI <laughs> in it, but yeah, this series is wild. I I remember renting like a VHS of this two-parter and maybe like another episode or two back when I was a kid. So I have memory of this show. I don't quite remember it being this wild. <laughs> Or this good? Like, this show has a surprisingly star-spangled cast. Really? Yeah, like I said, it's got Tim Curry. Right. Tony J, who is Megabyte from Reboot, and Count Frollo from Disney's oh. Hun Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay, yeah, yeah. It has Clancy Brown, Mr. Krabs. Right. And just... Like, a bunch of others. Their coach is played by Jim Belushi as Jim Belushi. <laughs> it is just utterly wild. That whole, like, star-studded cast thing, it kind of reminds me of Scott Pilgrim. Because there's all of these really famous names in Scott Pilgrim, but before they became, like, really famous for their, like, you know, Captain America is in there, like... Uh, Captain Marvel isn't it? But before, like, before Marvel scooped up a whole bunch of these people and they're just there. <laughs> yeah. We I love Scott Pilgrim. It's such a weird movie. Yeah, that movie is great. God. Like, I almost feel like at the time, like, Michael Sarah was the big name. <laughs> I still, having read the comics, I still picture Scott with a different face. Or, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I picture someone else playing Scott, but yeah, it's still still a really good movie. Yeah, Mighty Ducks. 
utterly insane. Alright, now for our gaming segment. Uh, before we get into it, I forgot to mention last episode, but in episode one, I mentioned that I had borrowed my friend's copy of Kirby in the Forgotten World. And I still have his copy, but I have not been able to find my Switch anywhere oh. in this apartment. Oh, that's uh, problematic. Yeah. You're missing out. It's a cute game. <laughs> yeah, I really want to play it, and I still really want to find my Switch because I'm planning to play Metroid Dread for December. Oh, that's a good one, too. So, so I've been missing out on that. Any news on the Eorzea front? Yeah, I do have news on the Eorzea front. Kind of good. Could be better. Okay. So my account rollback happened. Okay. But it did, unfortunately, roll back to a point for my account before all of the money was taken out of the free company chest. So I didn't get any of that 60 million gil back for the free company chest. God dang it. <laughs> it actually, I didn't even realize right away because I'd, I'd essentially, I'd made an alt for a little bit just to putz around of a couple other people that I knew. Yeah. On a different I world server. Yeah, I saw you on Discord playing FF14 and I was like, oh, did she get her account back? Yeah, I know. Um, well, yeah, yeah, at this point, but uh, I was just playing an alt character at the time. But uh, so yeah, I, I logged into mine because I had been gathering treasure maps for this weekly event we do because I figured, you know, Square's not going to track down all of my actions and revert all of them because I'm interacting with other people and sending things away. There's no way they go and pull all that stuff back. So I might as well just do what very little I can. And the only reason why I realized it had rolled back was my teleportation tickets were back up to 60 tickets remaining instead of 56 tickets remaining. <laughs> and then I looked down in the corner and I'm like, oh, my money is back. Only my money is back. Oh, man. It gets a little bit worse because, like, when my account got hacked, they left my free company, and I had a bedroom in the free company that I was using as storage for all of, like, my furnishing stuff. What happens in that so when scenario? They, when they quit the free company, the room, they, the room demol demolished, and all of that stuff that was in storage, I shunted into my inventory, which immediately maxed out my inventory. The only thing is, I am highly, highly doubtful that everything in that room perfectly fit within my remaining inventory space. And the NPC that you would usually go to, like if a house gets demolished because you haven't logged in enough, when the demo timer is on, it's not on right now, but there's an NPC you go to to retrieve your housing furniture. Good up for like, I don't know, 30 days or something like that. So I went to that NPC and he doesn't have any dialogue or option for me to claim my stuff back. I can't say 100% sure I'm missing anything, but I'm just very highly suspicious of the fact that it just immediately filled my inventory and didn't go anywhere else. So I think I'm missing stuff. So yeah, that's when I got hacked. The rollback happened, my money came back, my inventory was suddenly noticeably more empty because I was missing furniture. And I'm like, oh great, it, they must have restored the, the free company room because I put that in the request too, like, hey, I had a room with this, like, these coordinates. Please, if I can get that restored. Went back to the free company. My room's not there. I'm like, well, damn. I paid the 300,000 to open the room again, and the storage, perhaps unsurprisingly, is still empty. And that NPC still doesn't have anything for me. So I'm missing a bunch of furniture, but I don't exactly know, I only know, like, a few items for sure, because they were particularly, like, 
interesting items I realize I don't have anymore. So I emailed them back. And I'm like, hey, rollback happened. It's great. Slight other problem. I'm missing some stuff. And the response I got back was kind of like as if they just copy and pasted it. And they're like, type like slash support desk into the game and send off a ticket to like get the attention of a GM. Fine. Did that, explained my thing, get a response from the GM being like, same case, definitely like copy pasted from a, like, a thing. Being like, yeah, we can help with this, but we only allow item recovery one time. Please give us, like, the exact name of the item when you last had it. Like, exact specification for one thing. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not just one thing. I need the FC room rollback to happen to have all my things back. So I sent... Um, I replied to that email that had said contact the GM with the explanation of my situation again. And someone was like, one person replied saying they would look into it. And then I got another reply from another person basically being like, contact the GM. I kind of just given up at this point. Uh, <laughs> I don't quite feel it's worth it to chase that down. Like I said, I'm not 100% sure of the extent of what's missing. My biggest concern is maybe I'm missing like some seasonal stuff that I won't be able to get again unless like I buy it for real money if it's even available in there for real money. But, uh, yeah, I just, I miss my big elephant lamp. I had this thing called the Matanga lamp. And it's worth, like, a million, two million? I don't know, it's worth something in the million for Gil on the market board. And I found it in treasure hunting. And I remember trying to place it in the room just to check out what it looked like. And it's ginormous! It's not just, like, a small lamp. It's, like, a lit-up statue. <laughs> oh, my God. But that thing's missing, and I'm kind of sad about it. So, I don't know, maybe I'll reach out and be like, Hey, can you restore my lamp? <laughs> That I might never actually use, but I kind of just want to have. The story just keeps getting more and more sad. A little bit, but I'm trying to distract myself with other stuff. We're holding a Halloween contest. I'm running it. I'm going to run it like a cosplay contest because I haven't been able to run a cosplay contest in years and I'm just feeling the like the itch to do so. Yeah. So we're uh, still figuring out prizes because I want to see what goes on sale in the Mog Station. I've told everybody, I'm like, yeah, like send me an image of like, not necessarily the completed outfit, but what you're planning your cosplay to be and if you want any music and I'll try to like, I'll try to see if I can get Discord's like music bot to work to play the tracks back to back while announcing you guys on. <laughs> That's awesome. So that'll be interesting. It's next week on Sunday. <laughs> oh, and I beat Shadowbringers. After Huzzah! I got, after I got, well, I beat the main, I beat the main story of Shadowbringers. Me and my adventuring buddy finally buckled down and did it. It was good. It was good. Congratulations! <laughs> I still have not finished <laughs> a Realm Reborn. I, I haven't even gotten as much cyberpunk played in the last two weeks as I would have liked to, unfortunately. Although, I did get a nifty new mouse for both FF14 and first-person shooters that has a 12-digit numpad on the left side. So, that is going to make things interesting. I don't know where to put my thumb on a 12-digit. I have one, like, the one I had before was, like, six buttons in, like, the points of a hexagon with a middle bit that just had, like, a, a rubber nub there. And the face I'm using on my one currently, it has the option to swap in, like, a two button, a 12 button, and a seven button. And I use a seven. Other than Final Fantasy XIV, what else have you been playing? Um, 
it's not so much as I've been playing as I've been going a little too deep into the rabbit hole of like watching other people play. Hovering my thumb on like the two because it's at the very front and it's in like the center. Oh yeah. So for me, it just makes sense to go like up or down to the left or to the right, whatever. Right. So yeah, when I... Decided that Eorzea Corner would be a recurring segment. I didn't realize it would end up so sad. <laughs> I don't even know if it's, if I'm being honest, I don't know if it's going to be a recurring segment. Because, like, to be, I, I, I only play so much Final Fantasy XIV. It's just these past few ones happen to have had a bunch of crap going down in Final Fantasy XIV for me. Yeah. And, like, next time I'll probably talk about the costume contest, but... At a point, I've got to run out of stuff to talk about. But who knows? Maybe not. The latest, like, half-patch just dropped. So wait, Shadowbringers was the most recent expansion? No, I'm still one expansion behind. Okay. <laughs> I, so I still got stuff to do. You still have to. stuff to do. Okay. All right. Well, what else have you been playing? Um, it's not so much as I've been playing as I've been going a little too deep into the rabbit hole of, like, watching other people play. Um, and, and there's one guy I know who's a streamer and he was playing it, which is really funny because he actually played trombone in school and does music and stuff like that. Oh, I know what this is. Uh, trombone Champ is hilarious. Oh <laughs> my just, god. Everything I've watched just kills me laughing every time I watch it. Like, we were so surprised because I'm pretty sure when I saw the preview stuff, like of the song list that's in there, it's all like public domain music. But of the song list of stuff that was in there, like God Save the Queen was in there. But like, the day that my friend played it on stream, it was God Save the King. Oh. And I'm, we're not 100% sure, but we're both pretty sure it used to say God Save the Queen. They did change the song. <laughs> but I keep saying, so yeah, he played this and this was a little while ago and it was hilarious. But like, people have now started like modding it and yeah. it's great. So like, Naturally, someone did through the fire and the flames. You sent me an <laughs> absolutely hilarious one of One Winged Angel from Final Fantasy VII, which had me cackling. Yep, so <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen it, you look up Trombone Champ, One Winged Angel, but the model at a point gets swapped out for Sephiroth, and like his trombone slide just like goes off the screen. It's so long. <laughs> and it's just got all these wild like up and downs on them. You also sent me Tank from Cowboy Bebop. And oh, that, yeah. that actually fit, but just the one winged angel one is so like bump, 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 bump. It's just, I, I loved it. Oh, it's so good. I just, I can't wait to see what else people come up with for like, songs that they've what's it called pathing no not pathing i don't know what you call it when you, you when you set the timings to something but I, I cannot wait to see what else comes out of that community for music step mania calls them beat maps i yeah. think i think it depends on the game yeah that's fair but yeah it's oh my god that game is so silly i <laughs> Like, I, I don't know, like, people who get S ranks and stuff are impressive, but I'm pretty sure I like the ones that middle around B or A rank because they just have to do the slide-on thing and they, like, overshoot the slide. It's just so good. Yeah, I'm not very skilled when it comes to rhythm games, but, god, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> DDR, 
a Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Uh, there's one that I really like playing exclusively in arcade, and it's called Groove Coaster. Okay. Yeah. I haven't and heard of that. It's at a couple locations in the Vancouver area, but it works like you have two big joysticks, uh -huh. but they're also buttons. So do you have to like push them down? You you push them down for certain notes, but you can also like go up, down, left, and right on okay. them. And you're on a single track and the notes come and they tell you what to do. Huh. And it's it's made by Taito, and there's a lot of great like anime and video game music on it. There's stuff from Toho. What did you call it? Groove Coaster? Groove Coaster. Okay. Yeah. And we have it in arcades in the area? Yeah, a couple of them have it at least. Huh. Yeah. Uh, check that out. I haven't been to an arcade in a long time. <laughs> I know at least the one at Metro Town should still have it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm supposed to meet up with somebody later in that area. Yeah, yeah. See if, oh, you, can, you... See if you can track it down. Oh, that'd be funny. Okay, because uh, I, I was talking to him. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. We don't have plans. We'll just meet up, wander around, grab something to eat, maybe duck into the arcade. Oh, I'll have to keep an eyeball out for that because he's the he's the musician one. Yeah. So. <laughs> also, I never remember what the official title of it is, but Taiko Drum yeah, Taiko Master or whatever it's called. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, it's that, the Taiko Drum game. <laughs> yeah, the Taiko Drum game. That one is is great too. Is that also Metro Town? They may have it. I don't. <laughs> they had it at one point at least, so they might still. And that has like the Mario theme on it. They've got a couple cool bonus songs. Oh, cool. Okay. I'll, I'll be sure to check that out later today. <laughs> so, like I said, I've been still been deep into cyberpunk. Right. But last weekend, I attended a LAN party. A LAN party. Yeah. Did you tape somebody to the ceiling? I unfortunately did not tape anybody to the ceiling. <laughs> However, it was a Halloween-themed LAN party. Ran out of, like, a converted garage. Oh my gosh. Okay. And like there, <laughs> there was a, like, decorative skeleton hanging from the ceiling. That so guy's been there a long time, you know? <laughs> I buy it. I buy it. <laughs> yeah. So this event was hosted by a friend of a friend of mine who I have met and hung out with a couple times at like birthday parties. And I missed the last one that they invited me to, but this is something that I've always wanted to go to. I think I started becoming aware of LAN parties probably in the mid to late 2000s. <laughs> It was kind of a cultural thing that hit its peak before our time. Yeah, kind of. We were a bit young at the time that LAN parties are really like a thing. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking like 1997 to early 2000s before high-speed internet was a <laughs> ubiquitous thing. And so I wrapped up my computer, which was a bit of an anxiety-inducing experience because this thing is one of my most prized possessions and it's stressful transporting it. But yeah, I, I set it up. There was, I want to say, maybe like 
14 or 15 people oh, wow. showed up over the course of it. And we played games like Unreal Tournament 2004, <laughs> which I still actually own a boxed copy of, which is one of the second or third games that I bought for my laptop when I was in like 12th grade. Oh yeah. Because up until that point, we only ever had one family computer in our house, which was rarely up to speed for gaming. <laughs> and so even if I was old enough or aware of any of these events at the time, and we owned a machine powerful enough to keep up with games at the time, there is no way that my parents ever would have let me take the family computer to one of these things. Right. But now it's kind of a niche thing for people who miss the olden days of couch co-op or couch multiplayer. And so we all set up on both sides of like a long table set up <laughs> in a converted garage. We were all hooked up by ethernet to a switch. Okay, so yeah, it's not like someone brought a laptop with a wire, like you guys all physically wired in. No, this wasn't a Wi-Fi party. This was literally like <laughs> a LAN party. And it was cool because connected to the switch, he actually had a file server set up and all of the games that we played were GOG versions from like goodoldgames.com, oh, yeah, yeah. which are DRM free. Right. So you could just install it and play. And yeah, so we, we played games like Unreal Tournament 2004, and <laughs> I, I played a bunch of Unreal Tournament against bots when I was a very young child, like original Unreal Tournament. We played original Star Wars Battlefront. <laughs> we played Revolt, which is like an, a remote control like race car kart racer. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was for like the N64, PC, and PS1, I think. It's around that time. And it's a lot of fun, but it controls nothing <laughs> like a traditional kart racer. And I, I really felt like a fish out of water in that one. And I played, I don't know if it was the first version, but at least an early version of Command and Conquer, which is a RTS like StarCraft, but it was a mod of it based off of Frank Herbert's Dune. Oh. So. Okay. You, you have a camp and you have harvesters collecting spice, which you use to buy all your units. So, and as I mentioned earlier, I have been having some bouts of insomnia lately. Yeah. And this was on a Saturday, maybe nine hours after I had gotten off work from my graveyard shift. And I, I got home, I hurriedly packed like all of my stuff <laughs> so that I would be ready to go when I left. And then I couldn't get to sleep. Oh, and I did everything, everything to try and put me to sleep at that point. Like I, I went out on a walk, I got, I bought all my snacks and alcohol from across the street so that I wouldn't have to go out and do it later after yeah. I woke up. 
I got editing done, I played cyberpunk, I even, like, tried to change my environment. I came out here to the living room and laid on the couch while I put The Matrix on the TV, <laughs> just to, just to, if I could, like, fall asleep to something, but just nothing worked. And I think it, I think I was just too excited for this party, <laughs> and... Yeah, around four hours into the party, we were playing this Command and Conquer Dune RTS, and it finally caught up with oh me. Oh my god, you just started falling asleep. Yeah, there is a photo of me with, like, my head in my hands, just being like, I have been up for almost 24 hours, I need to sleep. You crawl under the desk and... Go die. <laughs> oh no, I I went upstairs to the living room and I brought like a foamy and a sleeping bag. Oh, so okay. I was I was able to lay down and catch up a little bit, but yeah, I was absolutely wrecked. Just done. <laughs> yeah. I'm sad because they they had a bomberman like multiplayer game that oh, they, they ended fun. up playing. And one of the guys came up because I had mentioned that I wanted to play it and he's like, Hey, we're gonna play Bomberman, and I was just dead to the world. Oh. So yeah. But in spite of being tired and missing out on a bunch of it, it was so much fun. And I would totally go to another one of these. Great. Yeah. That's cool. Well, it sounds like it was a success, so hopefully they'll do it again. Yeah, the guy who's hosted it, he's he's done a bunch of these, oh, from okay. what I can tell. But yeah, it was a sick experience. <laughs> I was gonna mention, so this was hosted by one of Dick's friends, and Dick was there. She was sitting next to me, and God, there was there was this one guy who was just super gross and creepy the entire time. There's always one. Yeah, there's always one, and <laughs> you're not the first person to say that. Like, we've been going to conventions long enough. We know how oh, these yeah. events can... Just don't be the one. Don't be the one. <laughs> but and there is always one. Unfortunately, there was only the one. But, God. I got up at one point to use the bathroom, and I saw, so I, like, I left the garage, went into the house's basement, and there's a bathroom right there, and he was, he was peeing in the toilet with the door wide open. Some people just don't give a f***. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, other than that, it was great. I loved it. And at this point, I'm a pro at tearing down and setting up my computer. <laughs> I get that anxiety about traveling with it because, maybe not as much anymore, eh, still a little bit, because I would be, before I got the laptop, I would be dragging the PC from the Fraser Valley to Victoria, like back and forth in the car on the highway. <laughs> right. And just praying that nothing happened by the time I got to the other side. Yeah. I packed it in my trunk in such a way where, like, my suitcase full of peripherals was between the tower on one side, and I had this monitor turned downwards with the bottom braced against the side of the, the trunk. Okay. And just my sleeping bag just all bunched <laughs> around it like I cushioned it as best as I could. Yeah, I was smart enough to keep the monitor box, so anytime I had to bring the monitor it just went right back into its box. But my PC box was like demolished by cats, especially the styrofoam. So I'm like, yeah, this thing's not functioning anymore. So I basically just have this gigantic reusable shopping bag that happens to just fit the PC. 
<laughs> so it goes in there for carrying purposes, but then yeah, I just have to wedge it between like the seat here and the seat here and push this one seat back on the passenger side so it just cinches it in there and stuff like that. I'm just praying for the best. <laughs> yeah. I don't keep boxes for anything. I don't have the space. That's fair. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. PC gaming, fun time. <laughs> Shall we move on to the news? The new news. Ooh, maybe it's not that new. <laughs> we bring you to the news two weeks late. <laughs> It's not quite two weeks late. Like, I know we both had this overlap of one thing we want to talk about with the whole voice actor debacle with Bayonetta. Why does the industry hate voice actors so much? So, I can't remember if I sent it to you, but did I send you that other gaming news, like journalism news article about like the other side of that story? No, I don't think you sent me anything about oh, the Bayonetta. Okay, I sent it to I sent it to some other people then. So I I saw a bunch of it from my own perspective on Twitter. So the original bit that came out was she released a video and stuff saying, "Yeah, they offered me four thousand dollars and said that's all I'm worth, so I turned it down." And Jennifer Hale has no right to sign things as Bayonetta, which I think is a little bit like, eh, like if she signs off for one and two, it'd be kind of weird. But like you know, she's gonna voice three, and there's that whole thing of like, oh well, Jennifer Hale it costs like this much money. So it can't be a money thing, so the theory was that it was just being a very Japanese saving face thing wherein you kind of make the other person quit instead of firing them. That was the gist of the original story. But then this other article came out, and the guy who's the writer for it is like known as... I think known... I can't remember his name. I'd have to look it up again. But I think is known for having very thorough, incredible, like, investigative journalism in the gaming Jason sphere. Fryer? I think so. Yeah. He's done a lot of stuff on, like, crunch culture yeah. in big studios. I, I think it's him. But I, I guess, like, typically his articles, not really blatantly, but, like, aren't pushing corporations or the businesses and are usually looking out for the people that work in them. You're definitely talking about Jason Schreier. Yeah. But his article on this one is not in her favor. Oh. It is not like raw, raw platinum games. Some of the wording he uses still, you can kind of tell that he's not like totally for a big company, but he is presenting what he has, which is not in her favor. So as it turns out from this article, and I, I haven't actually looked yet to see if there's been more sources to back it up, is that she wasn't offered $4,000 flat. She was offered $4,000 a session for four to five sessions, and each session is only four hours. Oh, yeah, big, that's big a difference. Big, difference. big difference. And she wasn't happy with it, and supposedly what she countered with was for a, a six-digit salary plus like royalties from the game. Jeez. Which is a big difference if true. Admittedly, when the initial news broke, and they had mentioned instead that Jennifer Hale was going to play it. I was a little bit suspicious of it because it pinged in my head. I'm like, wait a second, but Jennifer Hale is a unionized voice actor. And the other people involved in this are unionized voice actors. And like, I work in a union. I've been in a couple unions. I know other people who work in unions and stuff like that. And like, sure, they're not all rabid, but like kind of any chance that the union has to stand up for a member and like kind of stick it to the man usually happens. So the fact that Ms. Taylor did not seem to have a union rep come to represent her just immediately kind of set off this red flag in my mind. I don't really know how voice actor unions work exactly, but it seemed really weird that no one from the union came to bat for her. Mm -hmm. So with this other story that's released, 
you know, if true. Because the, some of the people they talked to said that they, they're really not supposed to be talking about it, so they didn't give their names and stuff. But yeah, if this other story is true, and she was being offered like sixteen to $20,000 for 16 to 20 hours of work, and she wanted a six-digit payout instead, it, it makes a little more sense as to why the union rep wouldn't have gone to bat for that, because it's unreasonable. <laughs> Yeah, at least from what we can tell. Yeah. Like, like you say, like we don't have any insight into the voice acting industry. Yeah. That does make a big difference. That shines though. a very different light on this yeah. whole situation. I did want to comment that like someone had pointed out that judging from tweets that Jennifer Hale was liking, that it seemed to imply that she was completely unaware of Helena's dealings with the company. Right. And I also wanted to point out about Hideki Kamiya, because Hideki Kamiya is the director of Bayonetta, and I believe a founding member of Platinum Games. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and people pointed out that he was blocking people. I did catch a tweet before it was deleted he said something like despicable the attitude of mistruth like some like misused english but he seemed to be denying that that was the case and maybe after what you mentioned with the article maybe that has some merit but the thing you need to know about hideki kamiya is that he is or was, because as far as I know, his Twitter is still gone. It, like, it, it got shut down. Oh, did I, it? I don't know if he shut it down or something else happened. But oh. as of as of several days ago, his Twitter is no longer active. But while he was on Twitter, he is infamous for being one of the most block, trigger-happy people on the <laughs> platform. He has what he called like special rules like if you tweet something stupid at him you're blocked <laughs> if you even if you tweet a well-meaning question if it's a question that he has answered before you're blocked <laughs> there, oh my gosh okay there is a video by a guy named nick robinson who is known for flying out to japan for making videos on really specific subjects like he this is the guy who tried to find like the origin of microsoft bimbos and he did a bunch of videos on the domino pizza hatsune miku promotion oh <laughs> but he made a trip out to japan to go to an expo event and personally ask Hideki Kamiya how many people he had blocked on Twitter. Hideki Kamiya showed him his phone. It was over 17,000 accounts. Did he then immediately block this guy? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't remember if he, he blocked him or not, but that video is three years old. So oh. up until the point where his account got disabled or whatever, I'm sure that number was well into the 20,000s. Oh, I'm sure. Easily. <sighs> yeah, I don't know how to feel about this one, especially with that revelation about her pay. Like, 
it sucks for us because we're not getting the original voice actress who I do think is important to the character of Bayonetta. And that's not to discount Jennifer Hale. Like, I love Jennifer Hale. You have an autograph from Jennifer Hale. I do have a- I have two autographs Wait, from... why do you have two autographs? I'm jealous about the fact that you- I thought you only had one autograph. Yeah, I got her to sign my copy of Tales of Symphonia for the GameCube, but I also bought a- Metal Gear Solid 4 shirt from the same convention. Oh, okay. And David Hayter, Snake's voice actor, was there. And Jennifer plays Dr. Naomi Hunter in the Metal Gear Solid series. Oh. So, yeah. She's a great voice actress. Like, I, I didn't bring it up until now, but she voices one of the main ducks in the <laughs> Mighty Ducks cartoon. <laughs> So I'm I'm sure she'll do a great job, but yeah, it's just industry drama that we don't really have insight into, and it, it sucks. Yeah. Well, especially off of the back with the Mario thing and the treatment for Charles in regards and the and voice actors in Hollywood and stuff. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's annoying. So, horror game remakes. Yeah, we're getting a few of them. Like, there's that Fatal Frame one as well. Oh, wait, really? Uh, it was in one of the Nintendo Directs, so the, this news is actually a bit older. But I remember there's some Fatal Frame that was only out in Japan or something, but that's making its way over. Okay. And then, yeah, we've got a... I watched the Resident Evil 4, like, second trailer. Mm-hmm. And you... I, I watched it yeah. earlier. You sent it to me. Got some feelings. Yeah? It's clearly trying to go off of RE2 remake, which admittedly I haven't played. The The actor for Leon is different. A bunch of the character designs are different. I don't think they look like night and day. There's something about Ashley's hair that kind of bothers me a little bit. Her outfit is, it has changed. Lewis, I, they massacred my boy. Did they? I, I don't like how Lewis looks. Oh, I thought he looked okay. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. But, yeah, it looks fine. I felt like Leon almost got, like, buffed up a little too much. <laughs> really? Yeah, I was, I was talking to someone else about that, too. We were so used to, maybe it's just our mind's eye, we were so used to Leon being, like, like the really, like, lean, leith one. And now he's, like, he's not super, super jacked, but I just, I feel like he's a smidge too chiseled for my, like... Hmm, maybe that's true. I think he's too pretty. Now, not to say he wasn't pretty in <laughs> the original Resident Evil 4 or even Resident Evil 2, but it's a baby face. <laughs> no doubt about it. And then Ada's like lost the dress. I know that the, some of the internet was in a bit of an uproar about that one. Yeah! But it, it keeps in line with the Resi 2 remake though, right? Because Jill used to run around in a mini skirt and they gave her pants. Mm -hmm. As a more realistic, like, why would you be running around in this sort of stuff in a miniskirt? Have some pants. I couldn't quite see exactly what Ada was wearing, but it looks like it's a, it looks like it might be like a sleeveless turtleneck top, and then like some sort of pants or shorts or something. Couldn't quite see from the trailer. Mm -hmm. I tried to pause it a few times. There's a little bit of glinting that almost looks, makes it look like she's wearing a belt or something, but I can't say for sure. Gonna miss the red dress, though. But at the same time, like, why would you be running around doing this sort of thing in a floor-length red dress, No, you know? that is that is completely 
and utterly fair. Like, I like the look of the dress, but I'm also kind of totally behind putting women in functional clothing for apocalypse situations. But how am I gonna jack off to this horror game? <laughs> God, yeah, it's, I'm kind of just disillusioned with remakes in general. Yeah. And I've I've had many a debate with my Discord friends over this, but I would I would rather see sequels than remakes. We're kinda getting that. Like Resident Evil 8, we've got Rose's story coming out. No, that's a point. Yeah. But I don't know, I, I do kind of wonder sometimes, because isn't it usually different teams working on the remake than the team that's making the sequel? So it's not necessarily that you're taking time away from the sequel to have the remake done, but it just kind of fills the gap a little bit between like the five years or whatever is needed to re make the next game. That is probably true, but I feel like it's treating every game as like a product that needs to be updated and when you are like repeatedly remastering and remaking things like what is the point where do you stop i don't know because i like the resident evil stuff has been fine resi 2 got has only had the one remake right yeah resi 2 has only had the one remake resident evil 4 has it, been... It's been remastered. It's been ported. But this is like a ground-up remake, which I feel is different. Same for 7, like Final Fantasy 7. It is just being remade. I'm okay with remakes. I am not so okay with remasters, because that's how we have The Last of Us and, like, GTA and Skyrim just showing up year after year after year for, like, 10 years. <laughs> no, that's, that is definitely a fair point. You're right. I would definitely prefer remakes over just minor graphical update remasters, because that feels like an even cheaper and easier cash grab. At least you have to remake the remake. <laughs> yeah, at least, yeah, you're right. You do have to start from scratch, although you do run the risk of changing things too much and pissing people off like Ada's dress or James Sunderland's face. <laughs> but I feel like there's a certain era of gaming and the distinction is going to be different for everybody, but we did eventually get to a point where there are games where I don't think have to be remade. Like, there are PS3 and Xbox 360 games that can still hold up. Oh yeah, Maybe totally. Maybe could use an HD remaster, for sure, but this Dead Space remake that is coming out, I am... I'm not even the biggest Dead Space fan. Like, I think they're good, but I I have strong feelings about the Dead Space remake for some reason. In, in what direction? Well, just because EA drove that developer, that studio, Visceral, into the ground. Oh yeah, after with, three? <laughs> with their decisions. And all of a sudden, after they've seen RE7, 8, and the remakes, succeed it's like suddenly they're like oh single player horror sells let's let's see what we have in the graveyard what <laughs> dead horses we can dig up to beat some more and it's just like you can still play dead space like you you don't need a remake of it 
Resident Evil 4 and Silent Hill 2 are a generation back. Like right. they're, so that's a bit more acceptable. But even then, like people are not happy about what they've seen from the Silent Hill 2 remake trailer. Like I've, I've played Silent Hill 2. I've never beaten it to the end. So I'm I'm not the biggest authority to to judge, but the people I have seen compliment that trailer are people who don't seem to be as familiar with Silent Hill 2. Oh, okay. And I don't know how they are going to take that remake because I feel like they're going to try to make it more accessible and more like fun and action-packed and like i don't know have you ever played silent hill i have not silent hill 2 is an uncomfortable game in atmosphere or in like controls <laughs> yes okay <laughs> like it is an intentionally miserable experience and it is mostly atmosphere and world design. Like, there are maybe seven repeating monsters that you fight, and combat is best avoided because there's no benefits for it. Okay. So most of the game is running from things, solving puzzles, and just figuring out where you have to go, and then unlocking little snippets of uncomfortable dialogue. <laughs> Which they decided to redub in the Silent Hill HD collection for the Xbox 360, which is a universally hated collection because they got things like textures and like effects wrong. Oh. There is an infamous sign walking into Silent Hill that says Silent Hill Ranch. And in the original game, it's like a chipped, painted on wooden texture, yeah. like font. In the HD collection, it's just straight up Comic Sans. Really? Yeah. Oh my it's god! It's white Comic Sans. So, I don't super <laughs> know how to feel about the wave of Silent Hill stuff we're getting, especially because like Konami has not done anything with the. IP in a long time, and the last time someone tried to do something with the IP, they burned it to the ground with uh, with PT. Oh yeah, yeah. That was that was like the kind of not trailer, but like the the playable the tech teaser. demo kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm not sure super how to feel about it, but it's hard to say until we actually see gameplay. Yeah. Like, I don't like to pass judgments until. I've seen gameplay footage and can judge for myself. And same for Resident Evil 4 Remake. We haven't seen anything of that. Or did the trailer have gameplay? The most recent one did not. Yeah. But I think there is gameplay footage out. Okay. Because it's not even the first trailer. The first trailer dropped like four months ago. This is just the most recent, a more cinematic one. I think I watched the first trailer, but I don't have much of a memory of it. Right. But yeah, I, I know the RE4 remake has been at least in the public consciousness for a while. Like, people know it, they've been working on it. Yeah. Have you ever played the Resident Evil 4 VR? 
No, my only time playing Resident Evil 4 was on, on the, the Wii. Wii. Yeah. Yeah. And because the only reason why I even really played it is because I didn't play shooter games on consoles because I'm abysmal with sticks. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before when talking about Splatoon. But the fact that we had pointer controls meant I was fine. <laughs> yeah. Resident Evil 4 was a impactful game for me because, like I mentioned earlier, I was a huge weenie well into my teens. Like, I could only really stomach, like, minor horror. And so I half-jokingly said to my friend at a blockbuster, hey, we should rent this. And he said, okay. And I, I wasn't brave enough to back down. Oh boy. And I fell in love with the game. <laughs> so yeah, Resident Evil 4 was a big gateway into me getting into dark and horror material. Right. And I remember like championing it a bunch back in like high school. Like I was like, this game is great. Well, and it was also a Wii exclusive, wasn't it? Which made it a little bit weird at the time. Though the original game is on GameCube. Oh, it's on GameCube, right? Yeah. But was it Nintendo exclusive? It and was Nintendo it in... exclusive for a time because Capcom had entered into an exclusive agreement right. with Nintendo <laughs> for Resident Evil 4, the Resident Evil 1 remake, and Resident Evil 0. And then they broke that and then released a like special edition of RE4 on the PS2, mm. which had extra costumes and weapons. And then they ported that to the Wii. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. I've played a little bit of the VR version because my roommate owns an Oculus Quest 2. Oh, okay. It's a much different experience. Like, you are completely playing from first person, and reloading isn't automatic. You have to do it manually. Oh, okay. Yourself. And the reduced field of view from it being first person perspective does make a difference. Like, enemies can sneak up on you from behind. Oh, I'm sure. Like, I've been playing Destiny. I don't usually play a lot of first person stuff. I get caught off guard all the time by weird shit. <laughs> If you haven't, I recommend increasing your field of view. I have. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I'm someone who always likes to slide it to the max and see everything. Because yeah, I remember when I rented it for the first time in that first little village set piece at the beginning of the game, my friend went through it, grabbed the shotgun, died to Dr. Salvador. Right. My, my dad tried it, grabbed the shotgun, died to Dr. Salvador. <laughs> I decided to, like a weenie, run around the fire taking pot shots at enemies when I had enough of a distance, and eventually they just screw off because the church bell rings. Oh. And if you don't grab the shotgun, Dr. Salvador doesn't show up. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay, right, okay. So I played through it and survived the village set piece first try, but... When I played it on VR, I, I died in the village set piece, like, at least twice. <laughs> yeah, Resident Evil 4 is a good game. I'm sure the remake will be good. Capcom's been really good to Resident Evil lately, and we'll have to see about 
Silent Hill. They There's a Silent Hill game called like Silent Hill F that like takes place in Japan in the 60s that they're working on as well. Oh really? And that sounds infinitely more interesting to me. Hmm. Yeah. I love experiencing horror in environments that I'm not familiar with. Right. Definitely like cultural context and stuff. Yeah. Alright, this is our inbox segment where we respond to your emails and comments. And we finally got our first questions! Hooray! <laughs> My friends Kane and Teddy sent two messages with a big batch of questions, so they'll tide us over for quite a while, but if you want to have your comment or question read out and answered, you can reach us at madmillennialmediamunchers at gmail.com or you can DM us on Twitter at madmmmuncherpod. Kane says, Heyo, I really enjoyed your first episode. You both had a really chill vibe and I can't wait for more. Always dig some good nerd conversation. Speaking of, I've got some questions that could start conversations in the future for the podcast. Hopefully it's not too much. Have a great day. So we'll start out with, who's your favorite Pokemon? I am so basic. Uh-huh. I have the weirdest soft spot for Eevee. It is floofy and it has potential and it changes into like whatever the heck I want it to change into. Like I lean Espeon of the evolutions but like, I'm so basic that of all of these Pokemon, I definitely lean Eevee. Well, I think Pikachu is the obvious basic choice. Eevee's like basic number two. He's I like the co-mascot at this point. I don't know. I would kind of put Bulbasaur, Charmander, and Squirtle still above Eevee. I don't know, because like they did Let's Go Pikachu and its companion one was Let's Go Eevee. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not a, a popular choice. Like the evolutions are absolutely popular. Like I know one of my friends, his favorite Pokemon is Flareon. I like to side with Umbreon just because I'm a dark boy. <laughs> I really like Absol. Oh yeah, yeah. Absol's a good one too. I, I like the edgy sickle wolf <laughs> because I'm a dark boy. Is it a wolf? I always thought it was a little more of a cat. I Isn't don't know. Face? what kind of animal Absol is. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it howls like a wolf. That's true. I, I always think of the look of the face and I'm like, it's kind of short like a cat, but... <laughs> yeah. Who knows? He also has weird feet that are nothing like a <laughs> canine or a feline. Right. I also really like Totodile and Cyndaquil oh, and yeah. their, their evolutions. Cyndaquil was my pick in that generation. Yeah, I definitely did playthroughs in Crystal with both of them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I had a for alligator sticker on my on my bedroom door as a child. I remember. <laughs> I, I know exactly where that came from too. It was from a set of Valentine's Day cards, wasn't it? I think so. I cut it out of. I out I'm of, pretty out sure of the, out of the box. I don't think I cut it out of a card. But I think I cut it out of the box that the cards came in. Because I remember, I think my, I'm pretty sure my parents bought the same set of <laughs> Valentine's Day cards when I was a kid. And I remember that. Like, that's a vivid image. 
With no limit on budget, time, and building restraints, what is your dream cosplay? So this is a weird one for me because I did a lot of sewing through school. So for me, like I've, I've cosplayed characters that I have no particular attachment to the character because I just like their clothes. <laughs> so my dream cosplay thing doesn't necessarily have to be a dream because most of the stuff that I, that I want to cosplay and I haven't cosplayed, it's not like, it's not necessarily that skill or budget or whatever is holding me back from doing it. I'm just kind of lazy and really bad at getting the ball rolling. I'm confident it is within my capabilities to do it and do it well. I'm just really bad at starting things. There are things I haven't I haven't done yet. Like I haven't cosplayed Soren from Fire Emblem, even though I've been growing my hair for years in preparation. I still haven't done it. But like, I don't think that it's like has to be my dream cosplay because like I can do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I guess if I had to pick ones that I've wanted to do for a while and are a little bit more elaborate, like, the dream bit is me just hitting the floor running with motivation. <laughs> but, like, I still have it in my book somewhere that I want to do, like, a Devil Homera version yeah. of the outfit, like, with the wing riggings and everything. And, like, I know in my head how I would do the wing riggings. I just haven't started. <laughs> and, like, the other one that I've been sitting on for, like, 20 years is UA from Cardcaptors. Oh. I wanted to do a UA outfit also for a very long time and just like well this one's this one's different. It's not necessarily the wings. It's actually the like god, do I really want to cosplay something where the hair has to drag on the floor? <laughs> oh god, yeah, that's a that'll be a mess to untangle. Well, like he's always floating, so it just kind of dangles below him and with a little bit of magical like stays bent in this shape sort of thing. But if I do it, it's gonna be on the floor if I want it to be accurate. See, I guess those would be like the closest thing I could call a dream cosplay. Actually, no, there's another thing that I do that I guess could fall into dream cosplay, but it's not exactly a cosplay. Cause I don't really have any desire to dress up as Shulk, but I think having a functioning Monado would be awesome. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> And like my my specialty is in like clothes and stuff like that. Not so much in the in the prop making bit, but like I've also just like I've never I've never really felt the inclination to want to make like a Gundam suit or a suit of armor because that's just not what I look for in cosplay stuff. But I think like skill, time, budget constraints aside, I think making a functioning Monado would be really really cool. Where like it does the whole extension thing and everything. <laughs> yeah, I love functional props. <laughs> right. Most of the characters that I like are the really like practical or like tactical or like really down to earth types that don't have super, super like ginormous armor or big thingamaloo. So yeah, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, there are a lot of characters that I wish I could cosplay that I just don't think I have the skill to pull off. And very much like you, like it's a time budget and just energy limitation energy you've seen me i've done most of my best work like in a short time frame <laughs> under pressure i am not great at committing myself to long-term projects so there are people who do fantastic armor suits out of foam that take like a year or m like months at least of work and i i could never I, I bounce around 
between like hyper fixations. Right. So I will go from like doing a painting to a costume piece to building a Gundam model. Just like I'm so just scatterbrained when it comes to it. That said, someone I have always wanted to cosplay is Nightmare from Soul Calibur 2. Oh, that would be a project. That <laughs> giant armor suit with that big sword. And God, it would be so cool if I could make the eye like twitch and move like inside the sword. But that feels beyond me. Something that I think I could pull off, because I, I, I have never done a full armor suit, is I'm going to point to it on my fridge, but uh, Getter 1. Okay. Getter is from Getter Robo, which is my favorite mecha series. Please check it out if you've never heard of it. This is the first time I've brought up Getter on the podcast. It will not be the last. <laughs> it's the old 1970s robot design. And I think like just making the pieces and like wearing them over like a black Sentai suit I could get it done. Right. But it would take a lot of work. Yeah, I think it's, it's not necessarily that, like, my attention bounces. I think my, my hesitancy in starting big projects ends up being, like, if I start, I don't stop until, like, it's finished. And it's sometimes a matter of me sitting here and evaluating and be like, do I really want to dedicate the next, like, four months of my time to doing X project? <laughs> I, I unfortunately leave so many creative projects unfinished there is like a quarter built Gundam model on that table next to you that I have not touched for months and I'm ashamed <laughs> yeah I I just like I go till it's finished or something for some reason has to stop me so it just means that it's like okay I'm gonna commit to this thing bye everybody see you in three months <laughs> I would also love to cosplay Kamina from Gurren Lagann or like Simone from Gurren Logan riding in Logon, just like the smaller mech on like stilts or something like that. I don't know. That would be very difficult to figure out, but that would be really cool. Just build it around a shopping cart. Oh, yeah. Or something like that. Because he's got little stumpy legs that right, walk. <laughs> And the last of Kane's questions is, what media do you consider a guilty pleasure? <laughs> I found this one pretty difficult to answer. Oh, this is easy for me. I really like competitive cooking shows in all of their over-dramatized, like, cut out of context, the, like, Who's going home to- and then immediately cuts the commercial. <laughs> like Master Chef and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, I love watching cooking competitions. Like there's like, there's another one called Cutthroat Kitchen and Alton Brown is the host of it, but they always make contestants do stupid- because he's like, here's your money, here's your $25,000, and the amount you get to take home if you win is whatever you haven't spent. And then they auction like, stupid things like a roll of tinfoil and it's like you win this and you can give it to one of your opponents and all of their utensils have to be made out of tinfoil <laughs> i really liked that one on netflix nailed it that one's good too well that one embraces a bit more like the silliness of like the oh, cooking yeah. show kind of thing but yeah also that, that takes the absurdity up to 11. 
be our like master chef and stuff. I'll have moments where I just binge like seasons of it while working on other stuff. And it's so dramatic and it's so dumb, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> no, that's, that's totally fair. I just, I found this really difficult to answer because like there's very little that I like that I feel guilty about. Cause it's just like, I, I like weird. Yeah, but you don't actually necessarily, I don't think you have to feel like guilty, guilty about it. It could just be something that like, you don't necessarily want other people to, like when we were kids and like, liking anime was not, that was our guilty pleasure. Cause liking anime was not cool. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, believe it or not, that era existed and we are living proof. Like, I guess for context, like food, not that we're talking about food, but like food can be a guilty pleasure either because you've like eaten that extra scoop of ice cream that like you really shouldn't sort of thing, even just to yourself. But like, I'm trying to think for you, what would be like, what might be a guilty pleasure in a media context? <laughs> the first thing that came to mind for me, honestly, and like, I, I love these, the Sonic Adventure games. <laughs> Because, and I, I hear you screaming, but I have recently played through the first Sonic Adventure emulated through a Dreamcast emulator, and a, a decent one right. at that. And those games have a lot of jank to them. <laughs> I, I love them so much, but there are rough edges that if you don't know how to navigate, you will trip over and fall flat <laughs> on your face. Like there are definitely worse Sonic games that if I did like, I could consider a guilty pleasure, but like I don't have any strong feelings about a lot of the games post SA2. Right. Like Generations was good. Ah, Forces was okay, but yeah, I'm not really guilty over any of those. One thing I think though, I really like long form video essays, but specifically about like crazy people. <laughs> there are a couple really great videos by a YouTube channel called Down the Rabbit Hole specifically Temple OS and Time Cube. Okay. And Temple OS is about a guy who wrote his own operating system from scratch and believed that it was a tool for God to speak to him. I think you told me about this before. Not that I remember a lot of it, but like, sounds vaguely familiar. And Time Cube was a website hosted by an old man who did not have a good grasp on math or time space whatsoever <laughs> and was full of ego. And like both of those stories like end in like a really dark place. Oh, do they? Yeah. So I think maybe that's just my, my guilty pleasure is just like dark stuff. There's another video essay from a channel called Atrocity Guide. I forget what it's titled, but it's it's the Japanese word for eggplant. 
Oh, and okay. it's not about a crazy person, but it's about this guy who entered this contest and was basically locked in a room under video surveillance and without anything, without any clothes, oh. which is like he was mostly naked and censored for most of the time, uh, which is why his nickname is the Japanese word for eggplant. Of course. And he had to, like, he could only be set free after he won a certain amount of money's worth in, like, mail-in sweepstakes. So... Like, people had to send them to him? No. He was, like, locked in a room with a table and, like, a rack of magazines. Oh, he, and he had to he send had them to in. had to fill them out, and once he won enough prizes that counted up to a certain amount of money, he would be set free. But it kept going a bit longer than that. And it's just, it's unsettling. It's basically the closest real-life equivalent to an actual Truman show. Like, it wasn't broadcast live, but it was recorded and broadcast for the populace. So how long was did he how long was he in there? Did he get out like properly? Like a year and a half? Oh I my think? god. But he got out legit or he was just cracked and they let him out. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm it's been repressed. <laughs> so that's yeah, dark and tragic documentaries and video essays. That's a that's a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> and Teddy says, "Hey, heard you guys needed some questions for your podcast." So I figured I'd throw a few into the ring. What three JRPGs would you choose to play for the rest of your life? Now is that like, I can't play any other game ever again and it just has to be these three JRPGs? Or I can't play any other JRPG besides these three? How do you want to take it? I'm not too I sure. I feel like it's the latter. <laughs> Maybe. Because that's the more literal interpretation <laughs> of his question. So I guess here's the other other thing. Does like, Final Fantasy XIV count as a JRPG? That is along the lines of what I'm thinking, because, like, you know, it's an RPG that came from Japan. On the flip side, Fire Emblem is a tactical turn-based RPG that came from Japan. But Fire Emblem, well, they kind of, they kind of fit. You know, young protagonist, linear storyline, really freaking long. I would, I would definitely include... Japanese strategy RPGs under the JRPG label. I just, I feel like they fall more under the tactical bit than the JRPG bit, you know? Yeah, but they're still far different from, like, Western tactical RPGs. Yeah. Like XCOM. Yeah. So, like, if I had to pick three... Like, I guess that's the thing. Final Fantasy XIV, I think, is an easy one. Like, Fire Emblem... Which one? What I play? I might do Awakening. It was good. But I also have a soft spot for Path of Radiance. I feel like I never get sick of Path of Radiance. So those two would be like two of my tentative ones that like might not count as JRPGs, but are kind of technically JRPGs. But I think if I had to pick ones that are more traditionally JRPG, Tales of Symphonia, because yep. I've actually played that one time and time and time again. Even if I think the remaster that's coming out is a bit of a joke. <laughs> not. It looks almost exactly the same. Yeah. But yeah, Tales of Symphonia, um, probably Xenoblade Chronicles, the first one. Yeah. 
Well, that's going to make Teddy very happy because he's a huge Xenoblade (laughs) fan. And then, you know one that stuck with me for years that I've played a couple times that is also definitely JRPG, but it's kind of niche? Eternal Sonata. Oh, yeah. I really... I can't remember. Did I play that one with you? Not with me, but I am familiar with that game. I really liked Eternal Sonata. I would pro... And I liked its combat system, and I liked its funky story, and all of its musical references. So yeah, if we discount Final Fantasy XIV and the Fire Emblem series as not being like typical JRPGs, Tales of Symphonia, Xenoblade Chronicles, Eternal Sonata. Fair enough. I would also choose Tales of Symphonia. (laughs) That was among my three. (sighs) And that game took me so long to beat, and I've only played through it the one time. Oh, my brother and I were shooting for 100% completion. Yeah. The only reason why we didn't was our GameCube save file, like the card itself got corrupted by something. We did not manage to save the Tales of Symphonia file. Yeah. I played through like very far into that. I basically spent an entire summer vacation during high school playing through Tales of Symphonia day in and day out. And then close to the end of that vacation, I had a little cousin come over and I accidentally saved over the file. Oh no! This was before I learned, like, you should always make multiple saves, you idiot. See, that's a funny thing. I have never been that person. Really? I live dangerously. Everything I play has only been single save file. Oh, man. I could not tell you how many save files I made for Yakuza 0 or just Cyberpunk 2077. (laughs) I can, yeah, I can go back and play at any point, basically. And same for my next choice which is going to be Persona 4. Mm. Yeah. Wait, 4? Yeah. I haven't really played the Persona series, truth be told. Somehow, it's just another one of those things on the backlog where I own it. And Oh yeah, P4! And P4 Golden was its, its other... Okay, yeah, 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 okay, gotcha. Yeah. Sorry, Persona 5 has just been so prevalent that someone says Persona and I only picture Joker at this point. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I haven't played five i mean i have played a bit of five but i haven't played through it proper yet i think when it comes to pc next year i'll probably get into it but i got into persona 4 last year and it is a really good game just over and over like i would alternate between tales of symphonia and Persona 4, and when it came to the end of Persona 4, every time I would cry. That is one piece of media. I know a lot of them do do it, especially JRPGs, but I like some of my favorite games with a party are games where you feel like you're part of a group of friends, and when the game ends, you're sad to see your friends go. Yeah. And Persona 4 was that game I for me. I have that trouble even just TV shows sometimes. Like Avatar, like tangenting here, Avatar The Last Airbender, I did not watch the final four episodes for years. Oh, wow. Because I just, and I like would rewatch the series and then stop on like that last four part episode. You just kept delaying the ending. I just kept delaying the ending. That is. I think the only thing that made me finally watch the ending of Airbender was Korra got announced. <laughs> I put it off for that long. You know, I've never tried that, and I never knew you did that, but that is hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I would alternate between Tales of Symphonia and Persona 4, but 
when I got sick of either of those and had to play something in between, it'd be Chrono Trigger. Oh, obviously. yeah. Chrono Trigger's a jam. People who know me that know <laughs> that's one of my favorite games of all time, and something I like about that is, like, it's the perfect length. Like, that game <laughs> is, like, 12 to 15 hours, unlike Symphonia and Persona, which are 50 to 80. I feel like, well, maybe it's just because Chrono Trigger is older, but I feel like JRPGs nowadays, like, if you're, like, not at least 50 hours, if your tutorial is not 8 hours, you're not a JRPG. I just... <laughs> yeah, I... I'm over-exaggerating, of course, but... That, that doesn't go just for JRPGs, though. Like, people complain about length of games in what any oh, genre yeah absolutely it's like <laughs> some people see a game as like a money to time investment and i just don't see it that way me neither and when that comes up as well you know oh you only this game only lasts 15 hours and i'm paying this much money for it on the flip side i i compare it to movies where like you're going to pay not even counting the popcorn you're going to pay let's say 20 dollars for that ticket for that two hour movie so if you pay $60, that's a six hours of movie. Where in this, this video game gives you at $60, like 15 hours of time. I'm like, you kinda, you know. <laughs> like I forget what roughly the gameplay time of say like Until Dawn was. That Until Dawn, we finished in like four hours. <laughs> was it four hours? We did it in one night. I Ma thought we split that up among did we? multiple segments but yeah no maybe maybe you're right but no no i think you're right i think we might have done it in two four hour sessions yeah that sounds more accurate so that was an expensive eight ish hour experience and has very little replay value but the game itself like it, it was fun yeah like i enjoyed my time with that i guess that's the thing it was pitched as having like dozens and dozens of endings and replay value but the other thing is like we played it and like my brother played it and my brother basically got several different groups of people to play it so like for the disc in my family's possession got good time out of it yeah but i'd ask my brother afterwards i'm like hey like you know we only played it once i'm like was there much difference and he's like no it's just like if this happens the epilogue dialogue or the epilogue exposition changes a little bit at the end and technically it's a new ending or and you know you could skip certain parts of this person died you know stuff like that but it's not like like detroit become human has different endings <laughs> right yeah but until dawn seemed to it, if i remember correctly fudged it a little bit in that like slightly different epilogue endings but still with this person alive, but maybe you made one choice was different, so they said something different in that single line, counted it as a separate ending. Yeah. Anyways, that's all for questions. And you gotta get going. <laughs> Juliana, thank you so much for joining me once again, and this time in person. Yeah, next time you're coming over to my place, we're doing it there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> But no, it's fun. It's good. To, it's always good to see you. I don't get to see you that often anymore, which is like half of the reason why we started this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, I've seen you. That's it. Podcast is done. All <laughs> right. Bye. Get out of here. Go see your Elton John. We have been your Mad Millennial Media Munchers. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>